The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. You love to see that variety at the end of the day. Fans are always, if they don't have a rooting interest, going to be rooting for the underdog. John Laser, so it's awesome to have you on. I know you from our Richmond Flying Squirrels days when I was just an intern, but I remember you back then. How are you doing these days? I'm doing great. Yeah, it seems like such a long time ago just because so much has happened uh, for all of us in the intervening years, but absolutely fond memories in Richmond for sure and doing great in Blacksburg these days. Yeah, definitely. And so I've been kind of following your I guess you could say your career or just I know you've been with tech for a while now, but I have to ask, I ask any broadcaster or anybody that I kind of chat with who was in and around the game these days, what was it like? How is it being back in a packed lane stadium, the opening day crowd? Uh, I remember the video that was going around Twitter back when they played UNC of just, I think it was like on the, whatever they used to uh, measure earthquakes. It was like, it was just all over the place. So what's it been like this year? Yeah, on the Richter scale, for sure. Uh, You can definitely tell that there's pent-up energy for everyone coming out of the quarantine and coming out of some of the isolation situations that people have found themselves in, including us. And last year was really an odd year in terms of trying to generate that excitement with piped-in crowd noise. And just also the integrity of the game wasn't there in terms of missing more than 20 players on a particular weekend and then also having to treat the results like you do in a normal year, which when it's up, it's up. And when it's down, it's down. Uh, It's been amazing. Honestly, we've already had two primetime games, North Carolina. You mentioned Notre Dame being the other that we just came off this last weekend. Our fans have come back in droves. They're doing the student seating a little bit differently now, which is leading to massive young crowds, which certainly leads to a boisterous nature. And it's been phenomenal. We've only traveled one to West Virginia, but that was also an awesome scene there in Morgantown. So it's why we do it. Um, It's why there's excitement in the sport, and it's fantastic that it's back. Yeah, and I bet that uh, you kind of, not that you would, not that you would have taken anything for granted anyway, but just being back after last year, it kind of makes you probably even appreciate it a little bit more as well. Yeah, I think there were certain things that when you look back, you didn't realize you were taking for granted, but you were. And I think one of those things was the camaraderie that comes with this, the simple act of being around people. And that was certainly prevalent for us with basketball. So used to being around all the people in the program on a daily basis, traveling with them, which we weren't allowed to do last year due to the testing protocol. And Definitely missed those relationships, missed that connection to both programs, football and basketball, and, and to the athletic department as a whole. So, yeah, I think we a lot of us probably went back and had plenty of time to look back at how we were viewing where we were. And obviously, I'm in some type of a dream job scenario here that you never want to take for granted, but sometimes the grind does put you there. And certainly, maybe that was where a lot of us were uh, in 2020. Kind of getting into the football season a little bit. Uh, I guess basically it's it's a wide open ACC and kind of it kind of feels like a wide open college football year. I know Georgia is among those teams that looks really good, but especially in the ACC with Clemson kind of I guess being down or you know having a few losses, uh, is this kind of more or less the Virginia Tech team that you've seen so far that you might have expected? Or I know anybody would want to say they want to see the team you know, challenging to win the ACC and beyond going into the playoffs. But in the, I guess, somewhat small sample so far, is this kind of what you would have expected out of Virginia Tech so far? 
I think the one thing that surprised me is the struggle that they've had on the offensive side of the football. They've really not been able to consistently move the ball through the ground game and haven't consistently been able to convert in the red zone, which has led them to lose a couple of games to West Virginia and to Notre Dame um, and also to hang closer or allow their opponent to hang closer in some other games. It is the team I expected on the defensive side of the ball. I really was anticipating this improvement that they've shown. Although again, I throw most of the results from last year, particularly on the defensive side of the ball out the window. So yeah, here we are going into our sixth game of the year. You're one to know in the ACC, you've got a couple of non-conference losses, which of course leads to impatience in the fan base. That's a natural thing. And it's going to happen. I, I think the next two weeks, though, will tell William as to whether this team is what I thought they were going to be, because Pittsburgh has certainly played at a higher level than I think many expected, including me. And then you have Syracuse coming in to close out an ultra rare four game homestand. And if you succeed in both of those games, you're going to be sitting pretty in the Coastal Division. And if you don't, uh, you know, hopefully you're not heading towards another middling season. Yeah, it's been kind of like I said, kind of a, I guess, a weird year. I know maybe with Clemson with losing a guy like Trevor Lawrence, you know, it's probably not super surprising, but still it's kind of weird that for a change for the first time in a while, the ACC feels kind of wide open. Uh, and it seems like kind of a driver's seat scenario for a team like tech to, you know, they can, like you said, whether it's fixed offensive issues or just win a lot of these games down the stretch, they could be sitting pretty towards the end. Yeah, I think there's no question about that in terms of all the teams in the ACC are looking at this as the best opportunity they've had in more than a handful of years to win the league. Now, that doesn't mean that any of them are going to do it. But with where Clemson is, already having the two losses and having a conference loss, certainly another, and you would anticipate that their chances of winning the Atlantic and even representing that division in the ACC championship game would be very thin. And then you all due respect to Wake Forest and Boston College and all the other teams on the other side. There's nobody there that scares you like a Clemson did in the previous six or seven years where you're thinking, okay, that the goal is to get there, not necessarily to win. I think that goes for all the teams on the coastal side and the Atlantic side. Their goal no longer is to just get there. It's to get there and win. Yeah, definitely. So you kind of also talked about when you have a few losses that grows, you know, the, the impatience is out there amongst the fan base and all that. So I was kind of curious on maybe what the the vibe is with Virginia Tech football right now. And also on Justin Fuente, what's the, what's the kind of, uh, I guess, the local reaction out there from even just game day to game day or just amongst the kind of where the team is overall, where the program is overall? I think the team continues to feel confident. I think they were certainly crushed last week with the way they lost to Notre Dame in a game that they felt like they were the better team and should have won, particularly at home. But I think they also acknowledge that they made too many mistakes in order for that to be the case. I think Justin Fuente put it the best the morning after when he said, look, everybody here, and he was talking to all of his staff, had a hand in us being right there where we should have won. But everyone here also had a hand in the mistakes that we made that ultimately did not allow that outcome to be the outcome. So there's shared responsibility. It's always a different feeling inside the building than out. And that is not specific to Virginia Tech 
in any way. Like I said, there's been impatience with the fan base and understandably so. You were so relevant nationally for a couple of decades and now it's been about a decade, save for 2016, where you really haven't been. And there have been a number of those high-profile games where you've either earned the opportunity to play in or they've just been on the schedule and they were the opportunity for statement wins and you just haven't got them. It's been almost uniform in getting there and then not getting the desired result. So there is frustration there, but at the same time, and you go into this massive game this weekend with Pitt, I think that if you put anybody on a truth serum, they're going to tell you the goal this year was not a national championship. This roster is just not to that caliber at this point. So all of their tangible goals, namely winning the Coastal and then having a chance to win the ACC, are still there with a record of 1-0. and But with that said, you've got to clean up the things that have ailed you to this point in a hurry. Uh, otherwise, they're no longer going to be there. Yeah, definitely. I was kind of curious. You, you were talking about the, the Notre Dame game and from the Notre Dame perspective that them being in the ACC in any, every sport but football, do you feel like the ACC could use another team like a Notre Dame or Notre Dame specifically, or do you think in, in, in any other year you have Clemson and then another team like a Notre Dame and it kind of, I don't know, maybe adds to that level of like if you beat the, the, these top two teams, it kind of boosts the overall conference or the perspective, I guess, from the outside looking in, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. I think if Notre Dame were to go to Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC right now, and say, hey, we're willing to join, certainly the rest of the conference and the presidents and athletic directors are going to find a way to make that happen because there's no denying the fact that their brand is valuable. You only need to look at their independent television contract and what they added to the kitty last year to know that. And maybe 15 years ago when they weren't winning at the level that they were used to, you wouldn't have been so quick to jump to that conclusion. But with the success that Brian Kelly has had over the previous seven to eight years, absolutely there's value in adding Notre Dame. I think the question though becomes, do you want to expand just for the sake of expansion? Because right now Notre Dame has the best of all worlds. It's got that independent television money and it has this contract where they get five ACC opponents to strengthen and round out their schedule every year regardless. So there's really no benefit to Notre Dame right now until that rights deal expires to make that move and you know say what you want about goodwill and all of that common sense and it's good for the game uh, ultimately the money rules of course and the smart businessman like Jack Schwarbrick is is not going to make that decision so that lends to the next question if you are going to expand is there a valuable enough brand to expand with the folks in West Virginia would tell you absolutely we want to join and we will join today but Morgantown although it's an awesome college football environment doesn't do really anything to move the needle in terms of your television income. And I hate the fact that these are the reasons that we say yay or nay, because I'd personally love to see West Virginia in the ACC. It would bring back that natural rivalry with Virginia Tech and also put another solid team. I think you'd put them on the coastal side. So, uh, you know, there's romanticism and sentimentality, uh, but they ultimately don't seem to factor into those decisions too much. Yeah, that was a good answer. I like that because I, I, I kind of agree. I kind of hate, like I agree, first off, Notre Dame, from their perspective, they probably would say, why, we're making so much money over here. We go to the playoffs and we have great years, things like that. Um, and of course, from the ACC or any conference perspective, they're going to want that quote unquote brand. But I agree. I kind of I kind of hate with college football, especially where, or I guess college sports, but especially in college football, where you kind of have these money type things where, you know, it's, it's, do we want to add this team based on who they are? And, and then of course, when it comes to the playoffs, you, I, I just hate the way it's sort of based on, 
what's the quote-unquote attractive matchup, even though it should play out in the standings when it comes down to that subjective, like, uh, we like Alabama, we like this team. Sure, they should be there based on their record anyway, but then a team gets squeezed out because they're a, a quote-unquote non-sexy pick. It's I kind of hate that aspect of like college football, at least with the playoffs and how that kind of plays out. Well, I do too, to be quite honest with you. I don't like the way it's structured right now. I'd liked it even less, though, when it was the BCS where you lost a game and you're done in terms of your national title uh, aspirations. And that's still the case. And that's why I said anyone that was a commonsensical thinker would realize that Tech is not in that group this year of probably eight teams that have a chance to win the national championship. And the reason that you like seeing a Clemson potentially falter this year is not because we hate Clemson. I think more than anything, we admire what they've done as a program to get to that level. But I think what you hate when you're one of those next tier teams, which I still think Virginia Tech is, is that it's impossible to compete. You can't compete in recruiting the haves, get more, um, and the rich get richer, both literally and figuratively. So when you see an opportunity with an Ohio State potentially stumbling in the Big Ten and Clemson stumbling in the ACC, you've got to use those opportunities to try to level the playing field because the way the playing field is right now is going to lead to the same four to six teams every year. And although everyone wants to say it's wide open this year, watch what happens. It still won't be that way. Uh, these feel-good stories right now, like in Iowa, uh, probably not a Cincinnati because they don't play anybody else, but in Iowa, for example, will more than likely sidestep their way out of the picture eventually uh, just because they're not used to being there. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Iowa might have a stumble, especially they play like, you know, Ohio State or whoever in the Big Ten title game. But with that said, I'm having a lot of fun with the college football season based on just it seems like there's been so many upsets, so many rand what feels like random teams kind of uh, having a chance in the rankings, teams that you may not usually like a Kentucky is being what are they top 11 I think and teams that are maybe quote-unquote college basketball schools that are having a lot of success in the college football season so it's been kind of fun even though I know a team like Georgia looks like the best team we'll see what happens or an Alabama might end up there at the end but I feel like we'll finally have a couple of different teams at least have a chance in the playoffs or at the playoffs yeah, I've enjoyed that too. You know, every Saturday it's been a little chaotic with Alabama going down and of course Clemson losing twice at this point, Ohio State getting beaten by Oregon earlier in the season. Absolutely. You love to see that variety at the end of the day. Fans are always, if they don't have a rooting interest, going to be rooting for the underdog. And some of these underdogs are big name programs, whether that be in football or to your point in basketball. So maybe it's not as nostalgic as it might be in other places, but at the same time, uh, yeah, with college football, if you're able to reset your expectations and say, again, we, le we legitimately don't have an opportunity to win a national championship and for Virginia tech, that's quite literal right now, having lost two games already, they're not in that picture. So, uh, you know, what does define a successful season? Is it 10 wins? Is it winning the ACC? Is it winning your rivalry game against Virginia? Is it winning the coastal division? I think all of those things can continue to bring excitement. Uh, but at the same time, through those seasons, you have to still recognize that your ultimate goal is to eventually win a national championship. And what are we doing with facilities and what are we doing in recruiting and what are we doing in experience to get ourselves there? And, and I think behind the scenes, Virginia Tech is doing a remarkable job of that. Just kind of flipping the basketball. I know the basketball season is going to be here so fast. 
I don't know if you I mean, I'm sure you've had a chance to do whatever you need to do to get ready for basketball season. But uh, how do you like the Virginia Tech basketball team going into 21-22? Well, I really like what they are, particularly offensively. You know, definitely last year you were hindered a bit with Wabisa Beattie. He's one of my all-time favorite people, and he was a phenomenal on-ball defender. But for the last couple of seasons, he was just a liability in terms of scoring the basketball and not having that ability to break down a defense and distribute. And that was, I think, at times frustrating for Mike Young because he needed to play Wabisa because you didn't have really another option at the point, but also he needed his defense. Well, you bring in Storm Murphy from Washington who was an exceptional scorer there. He can shoot the basketball. He can be a score first guard, but that's not really what he's looking to be. And then you look at all the other pieces that you have at your wings, Hunter Couture, Naheem Aline, potentially an evolving David Gasson, Darius Maddox. And then you have Keve Aluma. We'll get the poll results here in a day or two, but who might be voted as ACC preseason player of the year. And then Justin Mutz alongside him. I think you also like the strides that John Ogiaco has taken to potentially give you some minutes. Lynn Kidd, another big guy, comes in from Clemson. So as you can tell, you got some depth. You certainly have a balanced roster. You have a very old roster. Now, with that said, you're going to have to compete in the ACC with the athleticism and all the talent that is always assembled down on Tobacco Road at UNC, at Duke. Virginia is going to be very good once again this year in Louisville and on and on the list goes. So it's always very difficult to project where you're going to be because I think the Hokies could certainly contend for an ACC title if all things go well. But if you have a a fluke injury or you have something that goes against you, it's very easy in this conference to slip back to the middle. Yeah, last year was a weird year anyway. Of course, that's obvious obvious with COVID and everything, but I look forward to a regular, you know, again, fans and, and getting back to that normalcy. But obviously, like, North Carolina is going to have a new coach this year. Duke is kind of resetting, I think, or you're trying to get back to that that level that they've been at. You mentioned other teams in the ACC. They are always typically one of the deeper conferences. Do you feel like a team like in North Carolina or even Duke, do you think they'll get back to that kind of what we're used to them? Or do you think North Carolina could it have – I guess, growing pains, trying to readjust and have it, you know, having a new coach basically. Well, I don't think if they do struggle, it's going to be because of Hubert. I I think there's a ton of respect for him and what he was already doing in Chapel Hill as a member of Coach Williams' staff. And you can already see that the young players and the recruits are still, he's still resonating with them and they're still going to draw talent there. That doesn't mean that they won't struggle at the outset of the season. I think with those programs that rely primarily on underclassmen, including freshmen, are always not going to be a finished product when you get the ball rolling in November. But once you get into conference season, those teams have a way of rounding into form. Certainly, Coach K picked this year to go out for a reason. I don't think he expects or desires to go out on a down year, so I wouldn't imagine that will be the case for Duke um, this year. And again, they both have phenomenal young talent coming in. I think Duke is more primed maybe with some of the other older players that they have on the roster to be better earlier in the season. You know, North Carolina kind of rebounded a bit last year, but your system players, and by that I mean the third, fourth, fifth year guys, I just don't think are talented as Dukes are. Uh, and then you look at Virginia Tech, like I say, everybody's pretty much older. You'll you'll only have one true freshman that's going to play minutes for you this year, and that'll be deeper off the bench. UVA with that system and that style, you know, do they buy in defensively to what Tony Bennett is teaching them? If they do, they're always going to be a tough out. Uh, Louisville has done a nice job under Chris Mack of recruiting talent as well. So 
it becomes a gauntlet. You know, you look at Virginia Tech's schedule and it opens with three straight on the road at the ACC against Duke, North Carolina, Virginia. And it's like, wait a minute, who do we tick off? Uh, you know, there's some home games <laughs> yeah. sprinkled in there. But also with the true 20-game ACC schedule, which we're going to see for the first time because it got interrupted in so many ways last year, how will that make things play out? It just makes that grind as it gets to be in February even more so. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Like I said, the season's going to be here so fast, like the next few weeks, really. But uh, before we close, I have to ask you, uh, have you been watching – a lot of the baseball playoffs. Uh, do you still keep up with uh, like Parney and any of the flying squirrels people? You know, it's interesting. I've gotten to the point where I don't watch a ton of baseball in the regular season. I just can't do it for whatever reason, because you play yeah. 162 and you know, it's not that it doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's just not as all or nothing as football. And in some ways, baseball or basketball are, but once it gets to the playoffs and particularly this year with the giants in there, and I still know a lot of those guys personally, Crawford and belt, probably the most prominently, but still a number of the pitchers and a number of the system guys. Uh, yeah. So I'm very interested in tonight game five of the NLDS with the giants and the Dodgers. I'll be pulling hard for San Francisco because of my friends and acquaintances in that organization. It's funny you ask about Parney. I do talk to him all the time. He wound up being a groomsman in my wedding. Uh, nice. He just got engaged. I'm assuming I'm going to be asked to be a groomsman in his. I'm going to be very hurt if I'm not. Um, <laughs> but he invited me to play in the uh, Dominion Power Charity Classic, which is a Champions Tour event there in Richmond, the Pro-Am with him and John Daly, Elliot Sadler, and Aaron Brooks wow. next week. So that was an invitation I could not turn down, even though it's a football week. So I can't wait to get out there with uh, Daly, a guy that I certainly looked up to when I was a kid. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, I, after I was in Richmond for the Squirrels internship in 13, I went to the winter meetings a couple years later and Parney was there, of course. And I don't know if he remembered me, but he shook my hand like he did. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was great. I had uh, I went uh, to Augusta for an internship a couple years ago and a guy like Logan Webb was pitching down there. So I'm like, it's really cool to see him as like an ace in game one of the NLDS against the Dodgers. So I'm hoping that they can pull it out as well because uh, I'd rather see the Giants knock out the Dodgers, but uh, yeah, it's been fun to watch the see some of these guys. Like, I remember Joe Panic being in Richmond back in the day, of course. So it's been fun to watch. Of course, I know he's not there now, but you know, you mentioned it, Crawford, Belt, all these other guys. So it's been cool to watch them have that success. Yeah, no doubt about it. It was, you know, I was certainly emotionally involved back when Joe was there and he was affecting their last World Series title. And, you know, Crawford and Belt were certainly a part of those teams as well. There were so many other guys at that time that were still on the roster. As is always the case, it kind of thins out in terms of who you know over the years, but there's still a handful of guys. And I think when you're in an organization, I was with them for six years and you know how they operate, you're always going to be a fan in some ways. But you're right. That's the coolest thing about minor league baseball is watching those guys go on and, and, you know, in Brandon Crawford's case, become a father multiple times over, become a husband, become an all-star, become a gold glover, all of those things. Um, you know, that's what you really appreciate and what you take out of all those years that you spent kind of grinding away with them on buses and at ballparks. And if I remember correctly, you're a Minnesota sports fan, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, Vikings for sure. Uh, passively with the Wild and the Timberwolves. Um, and I'm still, I call myself a Cubs fan. Although, oh, okay. honestly, I've kind of transitioned to the Giants just because I have such a more personal connection to it. I was going to say, I, th I didn't know if you were a Twins fan. I did see a Cubs picture on Instagram. I was looking, I was just, you know, trying to see it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know you were a Cubs fan. So it's been a tough year with them anyway. 
with the ownership and all the things that they're doing. So, well, you get a world series every century or so. So uh, we're still <laughs> yeah, good for a while on 2016. Exactly. We'll always have 16, but hopefully they get back to it faster than that. But uh, yeah, it was really great talking with you and kind of catching up. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely, William. Great to see you again, man. Great to be with you. And I'm sure Parney remembered who you were. Uh, I think so. He has, he has a way of seemingly remember all the people he's worked with in his nearly four decades in the, in the business. Probably not a more impactful intern than Spicoli, though. <laughs> no doubt about that. Old <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, it was awesome to talk and good luck with the rest of you know this season and what you're doing. And obviously, uh, we'll see what Tech does against Pitt this week. Thanks, man. Great being with you.